Welcome to Happy Hour, a podcast for amplifying AAPI creative voices. I'm Melissa Cho, and in this episode of Happy Hour, I talk to Ethan Su, the 21-year-old Cambodian-American filmmaker and current USC film student. He's about to direct an independent short titled Swept Under, a horror film that involves a killer rug, but also a disturbing parallel to a particular event during the Vietnam War, which has been, quote, swept under throughout the course of history. Ethan was not the type of filmmaker who instantly fell in love with the art of spooky storytelling. In fact, as a kid, his father's sweeping collection of horror movies repelled him from this genre. But he always used to watch horror movies when I was younger, especially like a lot of Asian horror movies. And and I was like just terrified of them. So I really never touched anything horror related. I never even wanted to, to go in right into this genre or, you know, be it like sci-fi or thriller stuff. Before you hear my full chat with Ethan, I invite you to grab a drink of your choice. Maybe a stuffed animal this time for emotional support and let's spend happy hour together. My guest today is Ethan Su, the 21-year-old Cambodian-American filmmaker. During my conversation with him, I found Ethan extremely personable, thoughtful, passionate, and someone with a generous amount of charm. But from as early as Ethan could remember, he had a severe stutter growing up. Reading long passages in class? Now that was Ethan's nightmare. But in high school, he started doing sports and also began to write and perform in rap videos for school commercials. Through sports, he found his voice through communicating with his teammates and ensuring that he doesn't get hit by a ball. In his rap videos, he found his voice through rhythm and storytelling. Now, professionally, Ethan is a full-time rapper. I'm just kidding. He's a writer-director interested in exploring Asian-American issues through the lens of horror, sci-fi, and thrillers, lenses which he believes can both entertain and educate. In addition to interning at actor-filmmaker Jordan Peele's company, Monkey Paw Productions, he's about to shoot his short horror film titled Swept Under. The film follows a Cambodian-American man who moves into a new house and discovers that a rug may hide sinister forces beneath its surface. Growing up as a child of a Cambodian refugee, Ethan was always frustrated that people weren't taught about the American bombing of Cambodia during the Vietnam War. Our understanding of history is heavily packaged, repackaged, and cherry-picked, and countless moments get swept under the rug. Through this film, Ethan hopes to shed light on this forgotten historical event by adapting it into a modern context. And of course, making audiences scream is another bonus goal. Hi, Ethan. Thank you for bearing with me as I was figuring out Wi-Fi issues just now, but we're back. And I'm so glad that you reached out to me. Small world. Wait, tell us tell us again how, how you found my pod. <laughs> okay, so just before Melissa started recording, we were just talking about this. So basically, oh, I think one of the, the previous guests, Wenny, uh, she goes to USC, which is where I go in, in LA. And she's part of this business fraternity here. Um, and just, just so happens that all of my roommates are in the same business fraternity. And so I actually met her a couple weeks ago. And then I saw Winnie's uh, like reposting of the happy hour post about her on her Instagram. And so I was like, dude, this page is dope. And then I like proceeded to stalk uh, the Instagram page and listen to a couple episodes. Um, and then I was like, dude, I got to reach out to Melissa. And so I shot her an email, which you can find out, I'm sure, in the website or whatever. Uh, and she she so gratefully responded. And I'm just, Melissa, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I always love it when these mini connections happen and I remember when you reached out to me it's just so like I said and I quote in my email our silly little worlds they all actually (laughs) intersect and collide with each other so I'm very glad to have met another creative you're a Cambodian American filmmaker a current film student at USC I just want to start from the beginning, because I don't really know you that much. So why don't we just start from the beginning, <laughs> from your childhood? Um, well, you... in 1999, I was... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, you, as you said, as a kid, you had a stutter. And yeah. I... Okay, the greats who also had a stutter, Emily Blunt, Ed Sheeran, Elvis Presley. Your name starts with an E. You're destined for great things, basically. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, and I, I don't know. Like, how did you overcome your stutter? And how was going to school like for you? 
Well, first, I just want to say, like, I've never had anyone point that out to me. Uh, I actually did not know those people studied. I, I think I knew Ed Sheeran, like, had, like, a bit of a speech impediment. Uh, but, hey, I'm not superstitious, but I'll be superstitious for that. But but going to school was, was it was interesting. So so I think I, I don't know if I remembered being a child without stuttering, at least, like, when I was super young. And I think that was uh, passed on by my dad, who, like, used to have a stutter, too, when he was younger. Um, and so, like, we think that's genetic in the family, but we don't know. Um, but, but it was, it was definitely interesting. Uh, I, I think it definitely like made me more of a quieter kid, maybe, you know, more introspective. And I kind of usually sat in the back of the classroom and got always really afraid to, you know, like, I don't know. I have such vivid memories of being like, you know, singled out in class to read this excerpt from this, like, uh, you know, long, arduous English novel or whatever. Um, and and that that was like my biggest fear when I was like 13. So that was like kind of where I was at for like a little while. And then I think what also kind of helped me get out of this and start to just feel more confident within myself um, and, and and my voice is as I used to play a lot of sports in high school. Um, and thanks to my parents who like kind of forced me to enroll uh, when I was younger. But I think that really helped me like grow as a person. Uh, I played volleyball for, for a really long time throughout high school um, and, you know, I think that was one of the first moments where I was like, wow, like, you know, shouting on the court, being excited after scoring a point or like, you know, uh, communicating with my teammates. That was really important for the game. And I think that's what kind of, you know, kickstarted me moving past this this, this stuttering phase. And I, I think now and then today, I, I still kind of stutter here and there. And you you might be able to pick it up um, during the podcast. But but I think it's it's I think I don't know. I just feel more confident. Uh, and I think that's definitely helped. Were there teachers in the past that weren't super accommodating to your speech impediment like did they say J just say it or what were some of the teachers that you've had in the past that's definitely the stereotype i feel like in like movies or books or whatever uh and it's definitely like true i think i think i was lucky in the fact that um i, I was able to have like at least like with some teachers i was able to have like these open conversations with them just kind of like let them know I, i'm you know still paying attention and i'm like still learning and absorbing the materials uh, but not in like a typical way and, and maybe like participating in class discussions uh, was not quite my jam. Uh, but I did have some teachers when I was younger and definitely in elementary school who I think like didn't understand quite what it was like. Um, and so, so yeah, definitely like played out like a movie sometimes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that something that really helped you with your stutter was when you started rapping and performing in high school, like in commercials yeah. <laughs> or something. Am I yeah, right? You are right. Um, so so it, I think it was like kind of like a two-parter. Like part one was like playing sports and volleyball, um, you know, kind of being able to, to have to, to speak and use my voice or I'll get like hit with the ball or whatever. Uh, but then I think more creatively and taking me to, to where I am now, at least like closer, uh, was, yeah, in high school, my junior year of high school was when I got into like filmmaking and specifically through the, or like, well, filmmaking later but at first like writing and performing you know silly rap videos with my friends uh that i would uh work with them to compose the music and i'd rap over like some really cheesy youtube beat um and then eventually shoot the videos and so all of these videos um and, and all the topics that i kind of rapped about were were very like they weren't like you know the rap what we think of today maybe like it's not very braggadocious and you know it's not about uh the, the the negative stuff that that we typically associate it with but it was more about like like social issues that i was really passionate about i remember the first one the first like official one i did uh was for like my high school's film festival it was like a very small thing uh with only like maybe like less than like a dozen films competing and they were all like very uh like amateurish but like had like so much heart um but my but my movie was it was it was a rap video about like uh, me satirizing like Asian stereotypes. Um, and this was like 20, I think like 2015 or 2016. So just like about when like the Syrian re refugee crisis was going on. And so I was like, you know, the first half of the rap was, was me like basically like, you know, making fun of like Asian stereotypes, like uh, small private parts and like our like similarities between our names and stuff like that. Um, and then just like at the, in the middle, kind of switching that into more of like a, like a spoken word section where I kind of relate, you know, how we used to see Asian American people uh, 
and well, okay, I, I guess that kind of applies to today too. But like, I think in the past, like how we used to see Asian American people as these stereotypes and now how we're kind of labeling this, these Syrian refugees who were coming in, uh, you know, finding refuge like my family did, um, how we're comparing that to today. And so it was, it was, a, I was really proud of it. Um, but the school uh, was not, I actually got disqualified with that film from the, fe- from the festival but it was a super interesting experience because I, uh, oh my gosh, this is like a throwback for me. But so I submitted it to the festival uh, and they like said, okay, cool. Like it'll be showing this time in like the multi-purpose room. Uh, and then I stayed for as long as I could, but then I had to go to a volleyball game. Uh, but just before that, I noticed that my film wasn't on the program list that they handed out. And so I approached like one of the organizers uh, who's like a classmate, I think. And I was like, hey, like my movie's like not gonna play. Is that like a mistake? And they're like, oh yeah, like totally my bad, you know? And then they found the email. Um, and then just as I was leaving, it started to play. Uh, and turns out that, you know, a, a rap video satirizing Asian stereotypes and kind of, it, it was like a little crass to be honest. Um, <laughs> and so, so that didn't really stick well with the school, but uh, luckily it finished uh, and then I was, told that it disqualified after I caught back from my volleyball game. And so that was like my first experience with film and rapping. And I know that was a really long answer. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the short of it, the long of it, I guess. And you're also very, like you said, in that project in high school, you're very uh, passionate about the intersection of like social justice issues in the film. And this is what your upcoming film is going to be like. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to also just dive... <laughs> kind of into your family background, you said you're a child of Cambodian refugees. And I'm really interested in hearing about what, how were your parents like when you told them you wanted to pursue like an artistic career? Because I think this could go two very separate ways. Like A, it could be maybe they worry that you won't find good footing in the job market with a non-STEM job, or it's like completely the opposite. And they were like, because of their past experience, they just wanted you to pursue whatever you wanted to pursue. So where, where were you or where were they? It's a good question. Um, Cause thinking back on it, it it really, I feel like they were kind of like flip-flopped quite a bit. Um, And I know like before I like got into like the rapping stuff and and the filmmaking stuff, eventually uh, they were kind of pushing me to go into like STEM and like engineering uh, because being from Chicago, there's like the big state school down south, uh, like UIUC. Um, and so like that has a, like a pretty good engineering program. And a lot of kids from our high school end up going there for engineering. And so like, since I didn't really know what I wanted to do, they they, they suggested that. And I was like pretty into it for a while. Um, but then like after this, this video came out and I got disqualified and then like kind of realized like, oh my gosh, like people actually like pay attention to me. Okay, well, that sounds like super egotistical, but like, people like actually, you know, listen to what I have to say. That was when I kind of started taking it like a little more seriously. And at first I think they were, they, they've always been supportive. Uh, and I think that's that's like what, what I'm really grateful of, but I think they, they didn't take it as seriously as I did. Cause maybe I didn't really know, you know, how seriously I wanted to take it myself. But but I think eventually fast forward a couple months and maybe like even like a year uh, when I was like thinking about applying to film schools, uh, they were all on board with me. and. They would always, you know, they would like lend me like the the big minivan to to go to shoots and stuff. And uh, there was one time where I was doing like a freelance commercial and they drove from Chicago with me to St. Louis, which is like a five hour drive. Uh, no questions asked. So so I think, you know, they've always been really supportive, uh, especially after I think I like doubled down on, on this passion of mine. Um, so so for that, I'm, I'm super grateful of. And I'm curious, like, was that the same for you? Is that like... <laughs> mm, for me, I was really into theater. I was really into performing from middle high school. And similar to you, I got like super into it starting junior year because that's when I transferred high schools. And that was when my new high school had an incredible performing arts department. And so from those two years, I like did improv. I did, you know, I was in like one acts, uh, main stage productions, musicals. And I was like, I mean, I want to do this because I really like it. And I think it, and I talked about this with one of my previous guests uh, with Kendra, the dancer. I'm always curious as to how people who are so passionate about performing and music in high school, how they can just 
directly flip to STEM or engineering because I never had that mindset. I never had that mindset. I loved performing. I was like, well, I should continue this because I love it. So I wanted to be a theater performance major for for college, but my parents were like, no. So, but then I did talk about this in my previous episode where I was actually really thankful that that door closed because because of that, I was able to think, huh, like how can I transfer these skills over to another similar career? And so like at the time I was doing theater, I was writing for the school newspaper and I put them together and it became the hybrid baby of broadcast journalism and documentary. So that's the major that I came into Chapman as. But then a year later, I was like, I'm declaring a theater major. <laughs> I added one and I, and I auditioned, you know, I applied, you know, did my portfolio. So it's like, they accepted me for a reason, I would assume. And so I told my parents, I was like, I'm, I'm adding a major. I'm adding a major. I'm not changing my major. You know, it's, and, and it's very interesting. They, they said yes to film school. And I was like, huh. I, I guess it's because they didn't really wow. understand the context of my major because they thought it was just, just journalism, just like writing and reporting, uh-huh. which is like a good job. But I realized when I went into my major, it's so much more than that. There's so much more. And because of that, I learned so many other skills that make me a more like, I don't want to be egotistical to it. It made me a more multifaceted person, <laughs> which I'm going to say. Yeah, that, that's, that's my parents' uh, reaction. But, you know, they're really supportive of what I do right now, too. And, and, and they know that, like, this is, a, this is an area where success can actually be found because of what I've, what I've done in the past. Yeah. And, and for you as well. You're currently interning at Jordan Peele's company, Monkey Paw Productions through the Academy Gold Program. It is amazing. That, that, it's, like, that program is like meant for you because you love horror, thriller, sci-fi. But, but yeah, what do you do as an intern there? I'm really curious. Yeah. Um, so I'm still kind of like kind of new uh, and I'm still kind of finding the ropes there. But it's been so fantastic. I guess I'll answer this in two parts, right? Uh, so at, at Monkey Paw specifically, and I'm realizing I'm wearing both of their merch, yeah. which is kind of embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but But hey. It's a podcast Plug for the, Yeah, right. Um, but their merch is very comfy. So go on their website and buy it. Uh, but as an internet monkey paw, uh, I'm, I'm working in like the development sector. So it kind of, uh, for me, it's just like reading and evaluating uh, scripts that come in as submissions, uh, seeing like if, you know, this specific project is worth taking on for the company, you know, and evaluating it by like a specific criteria that differs kind of from company to company, which I think is really cool. Because uh, Monkey Paw really focuses on the the fun aspect of it, just as much as like the social justice and genre elements of of it all. So if if we're making a vampire movie, it's got to have vampires, you know, not just for like five minutes. And you, you know, we and we stick on the tag of a vampire movie. But that's been great so far, and I get to sit in all, all these meetings and kind of see how the the show is run backstage. And that like I think going to film school is kind of confusing because it's it's a very much like and i'm sure you can talk about this too but like i feel like film school kind of just holds your hand through everything and don't really show you the ropes until you're out in the real world um and so i i've been really grateful just to kind of see how how things run in in the real industry Hmm. yeah i i agree with you there and so with your interests in horror and sci-fi and thriller, how did you gravitate towards those genres? Do you think it, it's because it just gets the information into the audience mind more easily through shock? I think that's one of the reasons. And I think so too. I I think, well, okay. So confession, I've, I've, I used to be really scared of horror movies. And I think that kind of stemmed from like my dad who would like pirate and amass like a large collection of like torrented, horror movies and he, he like he'll it's like it's one of his many prized possessions but he keeps like a large binder of like cds like you know like old cds um and and he like very like meticulously like numbers them and like you know or, and he has a whole or- organizational system for it it's, it's amazing but but he always used to watch horror movies when i was younger especially like a lot of asian horror movies and and i was like just terrified of them so i really never touched anything horror related i never even wanted to, to go and write into this genre or you know be it like sci-fi or thriller stuff until I, I i don't know if there was like a specific turning point but then i just like kind of wanted to get into horror movies because i like wanted to prove to myself that i wasn't like a scaredy cat and so i just started watching horror movies and then i realized like what a powerful tool they can be to kind of like infiltrate someone's mind uh, with you know, just as much information as there is like shock value, like you said, and, and just fun, I guess, because, um, 
because I think that's just like I think that's what like I want to do with with at least like my career is just like teach people and help educate people and I think one of the the fun ways to do that and my favorite way so far is just like making like fun horror movies uh and so so that's what kind of what inspired this project yeah, well what have been some of your favorite horror films mm, okay so this question's always tough right because i feel like yeah and i don't like favorites too and i always ask people favorites so i know well <laughs> okay well, well i'm glad that you said plural favorites not like singular mm. favorite <laughs> but i think uh okay so i think when i was like starting like to get into like the horror binge uh, I watched this like Japanese movie called Dark Waters, um, and it got like an American remake. Uh, but it's about like um, it's about like a Japanese woman moving into uh, like a new apartment building somewhere in Japan. Uh, but she like slowly discovers that like one of the residents there like died a couple years like pretty recently, maybe maybe a couple years ago. Uh, but like her spirit is kind of tainting the waters there, and so like uh, mm-hmm. the bathtub will run like dark gross icky water and like hair will come out and stuff like that um and that's what like the movie was about at least on the first watching but like re-watching it it kind of becomes like about like the oh i i don't know if this is like exactly true but this is like my this is what i think but like it becomes about like the, this woman's journey balancing like her her like career woman aspect of her and like that she's like wants to rise in this company to her like responsible like responsibility as like a mother and so she kind of like has to deal with that and this this ghost in the apartment kind of forces her to confront that and I, and I thought that was really interesting and I think that's one of the movies that has definitely stuck with me for for a pretty long time uh other ones I guess um hmm, I'm trying to think The Host by Bong Joon-ho it's like his like alien horror movie I, I think that's so much fun and I think like I, I'm a big fan of Bong and I think the host is one of his better movies. I just had so much fun watching it. I, I watched it in a class for the first time, I think like two, one or two years ago. Um, and that was definitely like one, one of the highlights. Um, but yeah, so I'm like really big into like Asian horror stuff. Cause I think compared to like American stuff, it, it has a lot more like, like gravitas, if that makes sense. And it's mm-hmm. not just about like, you know, Chucky, like a scary doll, like killing people. Um, but it has, a meaning behind it, or at least it tries to, you know? So I, th- I think that's what I gravitate to. The Japanese horror film that you brought up, the first one you brought up, that is very similar to the Cecil Hotel murders that oh happened. Oh my God. Did you watch the Netflix series? I didn't <laughs> like the Netflix series at all. I just felt like it was a long Reddit rant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it just felt like it would have been great if it were just like a 90 minute documentary but they made it like five six episodes but anyways yeah that reminds me of the cecil hotel murder and it is an asian woman <laughs> i <laughs> know it's so sad well okay so because because i watched that too uh pretty recently and i was like oh my god like this is like crazy um and like the hotel is like well it's not like right down the street to me but like relatively it's like kind of close to me mm-hmm. um but it's crazy because like the people i i think like who were like internet investigators who were just doing the research, like like they brought up like the the the, the similarities to Dark Waters, uh, right 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 right. I was like, oh my gosh, that's creepy. Yeah, I remember hearing about this from my physics teacher in eighth grade because that's when the case happened. That's when her body was oh, discovered right. in the water tank, and <sighs> and he was like, yeah, and there's this really creepy elevator footage and then me my eighth grade brain when someone tells me not to do that i was like i'm gonna watch the elevator footage and i watch it by myself in my room it's like it's like bone chilling she's like in the elevator and then the elevator door keeps opening and closing keeps opening and closing she's like looking out she's looking in she's like doing these weird hand gestures and i was so scarred yeah the the that elevator footage still gives me chills but and it's like a hotel in la too <laughs> yeah but okay, yeah. So like the video itself is terrifying, um, like, yeah. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but that was a pretty good description. I think people should watch it if they can, if they want to. Uh, but definitely watch it during the day. Um, but what I did like about that doc was they kind of talked about like more of like the social issues too surrounding yeah, like, the hotel, yeah. and it's like, and the, like because it's so close to Skid Row, like a lot of like. Uh, like people experiencing homelessness will like go into the hotel for like temporary housing and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That was a good um, history lesson too. 
Exactly. And so mm-hmm. it did feel like a little bit reddity and it felt like, it honestly felt like like a really long YouTube video that had a, mm. like a lot of money. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It, it could definitely have been shorter. Well, what about, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts about Stanley Kubrick films? Okay. So I've, I, I've only seen a handful because I think mm-hmm. um, he's a director that I <laughs> okay, I'm going to sound because like I realized he didn't bring his name up, so I was like, "Ooh, I want to ask him." <laughs> yeah, no, totally. That's like it's totally such a film school thing to mm-hmm. to to do and like to watch. But I want to like ah, this this is going to sound really snobbish of me, but like I feel like I feel like you can only experience like a Stanley Kubrick movie like once, and I want that to be like in a theater, uh, with like like no distractions, not on like a laptop. And so, so I've been saving a couple of his movies to like to watch in theaters, because uh, it was after I watched like, well, because like I watched um uh, like two thousand one, pretty recently on like on a TV and it like at home and it just like wasn't like an amazing experience because I think you need to be like so immersed uh, for that movie and that I and then kind of, from there I kind of like decided I'm gonna like save his movies uh, until I get like the proper chance to watch them here in LA or like wherever. But I do like The Shining a lot. I think The Shining is like, I do a fantastic love that. movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's—I mean, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was definitely one of the movies that that like my dad had watched when I was like younger. And then I didn't know what it was, but I was like, "Scary Man with Axe." Spoiler alert! Sorry, <laughs> but like, "Scary Man with Axe." Oh no! And then I like closed my eyes and I like ran to my room. But then like watching it when I was older, I was like, "Wow!" Like this is still scary, uh, but definitely like a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I agree with you for 2001. I watched it on Netflix on the TV and I had to pause it so many times because it's like over two hours or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that film. I honestly don't remember that film. I agree. I, I, I totally agree that it has to be seen in theaters on a TV. And it just doesn't do justice to the films because a lot of his shots are just so beautiful. And I, I'm just like watching it on a little TV. I I know. And I feel bad because I like, because like, like I can't like engage in like the film school Kubrick talk. Uh... But at the same time, like, it's a personal choice. It's a personal yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something that I realized I was just thinking about, about horror films, it's we often, or I often, I can't think of any women directors or writers within the horror genre. And for older horror films, like when you stated in your bio, uh, Rosemary's Baby, and there's also like The Bird, Psycho, or even more recent yeah. ones like Jordan Peele's Us, Ari Aster's Midsommar, James Wan's Conjuring films, they're all written, well, directed by male directors, but then they feature female main characters or victims. And I think that's a really interesting pattern in horror films. And so that's really cool how your short film features a male identifying character. I think we've, I guess we have yet to see like a female brainchild of horror films. I don't know. Is that because, I don't know why they also tend to gravitate towards casting female protagonists? Is it because mm. we're thought to exude more emotions on our face? Or I, <laughs> I'm i not really sure. I'm, I might just be like going off, you know, just a really random train of thought right now. But I thought it was a, it's really interesting that your short films, that that is about to come out, um, I'm about to preface it, it <laughs> features a, a male character. Can I make a point about that last point? Yeah, I'm so yeah, yeah, sorry. go ahead. No, but no, like, no. I think that's so interesting. And like, that's something that like, that like I've kind of like thought about too, because I'm like like this is kind of weird. Uh, but I feel like I feel like I don't know stereotypically, right? Like women are seen as like something that we need to protect, or like something that society needs to protect, and they're like more valuable or like more uh, like I don't know, like like they exist on a higher level. That's kind of weird to say, but like, and, and that's not me saying it. Uh, let's be clear. Uh, but I feel like I feel like I will say I did watch a good horror movie recently with uh, w- with a female director about oh, cool, a female cool. protagonist. It was called the Saint Maud. Mm-hmm. It's like a British psychological horror film. Uh, it's about like this woman who like thinks like God is like inside her, um, and she kind of like goes on this like very religious crusade um, around where she lives. But that's all I'll say about it. I- it was it was honestly pretty terrifying, uh, but I liked it a lot. But anyways, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that. No, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Well, speaking about your film, Swept Under the Rug, it is... Okay, may I narrate your synopsis to the listeners? Maybe I should add some spooky background music. (laughs) It turns into the Ron Burgundy podcast. Uh, Okay, (laughs) 
So I'm going to read the synopsis. Swept under the rug follows Ricky, a Cambodian-American man, moving into a new house as he discovers that a rug may hide sinister forces that lie beneath its surface. Born in Cambodia, Ricky was adopted into a white family at a young age. When his older sister, Beth, gives him a rug as a housewarming gift, she explains it was made by one of the survivors of the Cambodian genocide. He's hesitant to accept the rug at first because of its gruesome history, but sets it aside amidst the hectic move-in. That evening, when he pulls out a clump of dead hair, he begins to notice that something is off about the rug. What or who is under the rug? So how did you come up with this concept? Like, yes, it's an allegory. You said that in your Seed and Spark campaign page. It's an allegory to the horrors of the Vietnam War. Before we get to that, I would love to know about, like, how even... How did you create this fictional world? Like, how did the rug <laughs> come to fruition? <laughs> I wish I had like a better answer for this, but um, but I I think I was just like, because I've always wanted to make like a movie and like specifically like some kind of genre movie in like featuring Cambodian American issues, which is something that 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 I'm kind of new to too. Um, but but yeah, and then I just was thinking because one of the first times or i think the first time i had heard about like the kind of like the the issues that were that were breaking down and, and swept under and also it's funny that you say like swept under the rug because that's what like people think the title is and that's what the title was originally uh but then we shortened it just to swept under mm, but maybe okay. we should change it back i don't know uh but but the, yeah so like like the first time that i had heard about like the the bombing of cambodia by america during the vietnam war that it was in a uh it was in like a, a Vietnam War class uh, and it's actually taught by Viet Nguyen, uh, who's like the, the author of like the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, Sympathizer. And he just came out with a sequel, I think, The Committed. But he, yeah, he, he was kind of telling us about the, the, the history of that. And I was like, wow, like, like I had never heard of this, you know, and, and I wondered why. And I wondered like, you know, why like had none of my like American history classes in high school talked about this or even like even in middle school, I feel like we should have like at least heard about it but that kind of like sparked a thought in my head i'm like wow that's so hidden it's so swept under the rug and so i then i kind of took that phrase and ran with it um and and i guess now we're making a movie about a killer carpet but i think it's fun too to play around with this phrase and kind of extend it to as far as it can go um and and we're having a lot of fun or at least i'm having a lot of fun writing it and working with a team to make it because to my knowledge, there aren't any movies or like short films out that deal that you know have a have a killer carpet. So that's kind of the the origin of that. There's a killer tire film. What is that called? Rubber. Oh, rubber. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it's that a movie. Tire, but not a rug. Not a rug. You should add more like objects. More inanimate objects. Yeah, yeah. What is next? <laughs> a. Uh... A fridge a magnet. Bookshelf. Oh, a, f- a fridge magnet. Oh, that is <laughs> that would that's be scary. Killer. Yeah. <laughs> that would be scary. Uh, how long do you are you planning that this film is going to be? I think about eight minutes. I think mm-hmm. that's that's what the like that's what our page count is at now. Uh, but with the editing and like how we shoot it, um, I feel like it might run a, like a little longer. Uh, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, like a nice a nice uh, digestible amount. It's going to be hard making it digestible because this is very dense textbook information that you're trying to allegorically convey. And it's also information that most people do not know about. I assume that you are nervous about that. <laughs> I have nightmares about it. It's, it's difficult. Cause that, yeah. Cause you nailed it. I mean, it's like, how do I not be as boring as my high school, you know, mm. history teacher? Uh, and how, like, how can I get such, you know, such, you know, just decades worth of history into, uh, into this film while making it entertaining and not like, you know, narrating all of it with, you know, like, I don't know, like text or voiceovers and stuff like that. And I think the way that we're trying to approach it is, I, th- I'm hoping it's going to work. Uh, because we're going to incorporate, like, like there are a couple scenes where, like, the characters of the movie are looking at, like, archival footage of, you know, these big historical fi- 
like figures like Richard Nixon or Henry Kissinger kind of while they, they do their, you know, do their rug investigating stuff like that. Um, and that's my way of kind of sneaking that in kind of, you know, telling two stories at once uh, so that, you know, at the end, uh, hopefully you can see the overlap. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I think we're still playing around with that too, because uh, what we've discovered while making the movie, or at least like, sorry, researching and writing the movie is like, we've reached out to like these archival footage places, um, companies that I won't name, but I'm sure you can like guess, uh, but they've all, you know, been helpful to a point. There are like a couple interviews that are like, I think like gold mines worth of information that I can only find transcripts for online. But I know like they exist in video because they were like taped, you know, 50 years ago. But, you know, these these archival companies and the the estates and museums that kind of manage these footages, they're not letting us, you know, access them. And they're 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 really restrictive about who gets it. I don't think I mean, because like the stuff I found is just like transcripts online on like page 50 of Google or something like that. So it's really just like hidden still. And and that to me was kind of like eye opening too. and my producer actually pointed this out. But like it's, it's like that information is still being like swept under the rug today. And it's like, if I have to go to page 50 to find even just like, like, a, like a written text version of this speech, like, how is anyone going to find out about this? How is anyone going to like remember this in, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? So that's like another aspect that I think mm. has been so educational for me trying to, to educate other people about this issue. So, yeah, it's been frustrating. It's difficult, but, but I think we're going to make it happen. And I, I hope you do. In your rabbit hole search, <laughs> any new information that surprised or shocked you? I know that when I was reading your your Seed and Spark page, you said that during the height of the war, President Nixon and then Henry Kissinger, they dropped like 2.7 million tons of bombs on Cambodian soil. And you said to put that to put that into perspective that this exceeded the bombing of Japan in World War II by 1 million tons. So on the same lines as that, what were some new information that surprised you during your quest to find more information? <laughs> it was a quest. That's a great way to describe it. Um, I think like, well, okay, so I could be wrong, but I know Cambodia is pretty high up there with like the most you know, or like the country that has sustained the most bombing by like per ton or whatever. Uh, but I think Laos actually right next door has has the most, you know, sustained bombing by by I think the, the US government. So people should look into that if they're interested. But I think the stuff that I've learned besides like all of this footage, like being under wraps to this day is just like the amount of like public dissent that, you know, Richard Nixon, his actions caused within the US, like, uh, like like the Kent State shooting, um, which was like a couple days after Richard Nixon had like announced his uh, invasion into Cambodia, where, you know, uh, it was in Ohio, I think, I think four or five students were shot and killed by the National Guard. That that I remember learning about in high school. Yeah. Me but too. that never was connected to, you know, the Cambodian events. And like, I always thought that was like, I don't know, some like peace protests surrounding the, the Vietnam War in general, not specifically uh, the country where my mom's from. So like kind of stuff like that, where like stuff I've learned about uh, for sure. Re- and then connecting that directly to like stuff that you were talking about in this film. I think that was really eye opening for me. So you're basically through this film also reframing how we view history um, from in my theater program. We talked about revisionist history and we watched, yeah. we read a lot of revisionist plays. Okay. I can't think of like a really great special event. Uh, example but yes like Hamilton Hamilton is revisionist history like okay (laughs) but uh, so is this what you're interested in making like revisionist horror reframing our thoughts on the information that we digest I don't know I don't know because I like because I really do like that that aspect of like telling history from another perspective or completely changing that like Hamilton's a great example I think once upon a time in Hollywood uh, oh yes is a good example too Uh, and I, I thought that was like put like a fun twist on what we knew was kind of coming I think I think it interests me. I don't know if it's like what I want to pursue forever. Uh, but I think it is fun to kind of, you know, take something that people know or people will learn uh, and kind of spin that on its head and tell it through a different lens. And I mean, especially tell it from a different perspective. But I think that is interesting. There's this new podcast produced by Crooked Media called Edith. 
And I actually saw this recommended by my Spotify recently. It talks about... Go algorithm. Yeah, the algorithm really worked. So President Woodrow Wilson, when he fell into this paralyzed state, it's a story about like how after he was paralyzed, how basically his wife, Edith, became like the first unofficial president of the United States. So it's a revisionist podcast. Um, and I think, wow, it's like, it's reaching into the podcast space, which I think is super cool. Um, and you're also a big podcast fan, so. Oh, yeah. Not to get all meta, but I love podcasts and I love like listening to them. I don't listen to like too many people, but I like if I like someone, I'll like binge their entire list. Well, tell us how we can help make your film a reality. Okay, so we have launched the Student Spark a couple of days ago, and I don't know when this episode is coming out, but uh, but when it does come out, I think we'll still be doing our fundraising. And right now, we've we're just under fifty percent, um, and it's been really great to see like the community kind of or, like the Cambodian Khmer community really rally behind this movie too, because we just recently, I think like like a couple of days ago, we had a Cambodian American guy from from Virginia uh, that we've never met before. And he donated $1,000 and he signed on to be an executive producer, uh, which is what happens when you donate $1,000, which was super cool and it's super out of the blue. But just like, you know, I think people, like the way people can help this movie is just sharing it on social media, sharing it uh, in whatever way you can, carrier pigeons, whatever works. And if you're able to, donating however much you'd like, there are some great perks too. You know, our executive producer will get a signed well, get the signed rug that we use in the film. So, you know... It, <laughs> I don't it, I know mean, if I want it, though, Ethan. I don't know if I want it in my house. <laughs> well, hey, that's a personal choice. If if they want to use it, they can use it. Or sell it on eBay for, like, more of a profit. I don't know. It could, like... Hey, like, 20 years from now, this, this rug could be an antique. So, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I can, like, upcycle it. Paint it pink. <laughs> so, what is your film's total budget? So we're trying to raise 6,000 mm-hmm. uh, and right now we're like just under 3,000. But if we do reach 6,000, we're always going to try to go as much as we can because I think any type of funding will definitely help this project through like not just the shooting of it, but like the editing, the coloring, the sound design, which all will play in, like a really important role in creating like a scary atmosphere. Um, so 6,000 is the goal, but as much as we can. Yeah. When this episode comes out, we will have your film's fundraising campaign link in our bio. And then hopefully we'll have a couple of extra, extra pairs of hands that'll chip in. <laughs> like seven more executive producers. Sign. You're like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone splits a rug. Well, when are you hoping that this film will premiere? And then after this film, like what's next for you? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, so we're hoping, so we're shooting at the end of July. So coming up kind of, and then going to edit it uh, hopefully by the fall and, and have it premiere in the fall. I'd love to, it, it would be a dream of mine to premiere it or at least like show it at the Cambodia Town Film Festival, which is like just down in Long Beach. Cause I know like they've been super helpful in sharing this film with, with the Long Beach community, which is like uh, in Long Beach, there's Cambodia Town, uh, which has the the highest population of, Uh, Cambodian people outside of Southeast Asia and so like they've been super helpful and I would love to kind of bring this film back home I suppose or at least like you know the closest home I can get in LA and then after that are you going to be starting your senior year at USC yeah so I'm I'm an incoming senior so I have another year of school um, you have your thesis thesis yes Uh, I'm actually doing a production design gig on one of the thesis films which I'm super excited for and it's just gonna be so nice to be back on set because I think, you know, we had to deal with a year of, and you probably too have to deal with like just virtual, you know, learning and yep. virtual production stuff. Yeah. And, and I did it virtual. in a different time zone. And I also interned in a flips time zone. That must be crazy. <laughs> that's I, I that's can't a horror story that. in itself. Yeah. yeah. I'm, 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 I'm shaking because of that. Also, <laughs> <laughs> well, you production design as well. Wow. Another new skill set that you have. Okay, well, where can we best find you? And yeah, where can we best support your work? Yeah, so, uh, well, I guess this, the Seed and Spark link will, will be out when it comes out, but the link will be in my Instagram bio. Uh, my Instagram handle is Ethan Soup and uh, E-T-H-A-N-S-O-O, and then just throw in a P at the end. I don't know why. That was like the only name available a couple years ago. 
but it just stayed that way, so. <laughs> okay. Um, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Oh, I, I'm ready. You know, I like, like an hour before we started, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what is she going to ask? What is she going to ask? But I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Here we go. Number one, guilty snack pleasure. Dude. Okay. So, so my girlfriend got like these, like, we were at Costco and she got these like boba mochi little like snack packets and I don't know what's like what's in that thing but it's like it's so addicting I don't I don't know the name of it I just like recognize it by like just like the way it looks and I can recognize it from all the way down like like a Costco aisle uh but that's definitely like yeah so so tasty number two what kind of roommate are you (laughs) uh what kind of roommate am I um Definitely like a little messy, but I think trying to be as clean as possible. Um, the roommate I have right now, we've lived together before. So it's like we kind of know what to do and we kind of like know what kind of space we need and, and what kind of time we need. So, so like, I think I'm very respectful. Yeah, I think that's the, the best way to put it. Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Number three, since we are in a horror themed episode, uh, this question is what is one of your most embarrassing moments? I'll share mine too. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Um, do you have yours ready? I might have to think. I've had so no, many. I'll hear from you like. first. I'll hear from you first. Okay. 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 Uh, most embarrassing moments. Uh, I said one of yours because I don't want to do like pick a favorite. You know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. One of mine. Uh, oh, ooh, okay. <laughs> okay. I feel like this is like not, I'm probably forgetting something, but, but at like a boba shop, I was getting boba obviously but I, I don't know if you do this thing but like uh I, i'm usually with someone and then like for for my cup i'll have to uh like close my eyes and then they'll kind of move the boba oh yeah cup of, like, a, like i've never done table. it before i don't really it's, drink boba <laughs> well may, maybe after this story you won't want to but <laughs> but they'll move it around the table uh and then like my eyes are closed so i can't see where it is but i have the straw like ready to to go and like puncture it uh-huh. uh but then they'll like tap it twice and then I'll have to, based off that sound, try to guess where to stab. Uh, <laughs> and and for this one time, I just like stabbed way too confidently because I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. I, I like, I know I'm gonna feel that that paper rip and the the, the boba come up. Uh, but then I just stabbed. I I punctured the paper, but then I also went through the side of the cup, and so the boba just kind of broke and it spilled everywhere across the table. Um, and that was super. Yeah, that was just like my face flushed and then i was like oh my gosh and i just got a bunch of napkins and it was fine 20 minutes later but it was the yeah. servers were probably like here we go this is the fourth time it's happened today <laughs> <laughs> honestly honestly so what's yours oh <laughs> sure mine uh this happened i think i was in middle school so every year when my family used to live in in shanghai at the end of the year it's like we would go on these like church retreats that would last for hours because we would go New Year's Eve, and then it's a time where it's like hundreds of people would congregate, pray, go through different workshops, and then it's just like a great way to start the year off right. And so, you know, I my, my I always go to them because my parents go, so therefore, like, I have to go as well. And <laughs> yeah, those, those went on for hours. And one time at one of the venues, there were just hundreds of people, and it's like the biggest... Um, church-related New Year's Eve event I think I've ever been to in, in China wow. or that I could remember. Uh, they had a like, a like a projector and then like the pastor was like talking about something, doing a presentation. And then me and my other like church kid friends, we were just like, let's go to one of the rooms and like play our iPad or something because we, we didn't want to sit through that. And so yeah. we were walking at the side of the like the large conference room and people were like listening to the pastor and then i see that there's like uh the projector the the wire was like attached to the socket and i was like okay better not step over that <laughs> i step over that trip over that the entire projector shuts down hundreds of people look at me <laughs> and after that the pastor didn't even see that it was me who did that. And she kept praying in the front that it was Satan who was doing that. <laughs> so oh my goodness. that was my most, it was, I literally told, I gave myself a mental note. Do not trip over that wire. And I literally trip over that wire. I'm like, <laughs> so. But I feel like, okay. But, but I feel like, like, just like when that, when your physics teacher told you not to watch that Sisa <laughs> Hotel video, but you just had to watch the video. 
Mm. And it's so strange. I'm a type one personality. I love, like, <laughs> I follow rules. And so it was really funny. Like, the pastor thought I was Satan. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, but you're here. You're not Satan. At least that I know of. <laughs> I can take a mask off. <laughs> okay. Number four. What do you like to collect? What do I like to collect? Okay. Uh, ooh. Okay, well, here's one. I, I guess this is kind of like a, like a film kid thing to say, but I really like Criterion Collection Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something so like premium about like buying like a physical disc and like putting it into like a CD player and watching a movie that's like really nicely, you know, restored and stuff. Because like a lot of the movies that, that I at least like buy from, from their company um, are like older movies that like usually haven't like had the best care, I guess, like uh, in like more recent days. And that, like, I've always watched, like, bootlegged versions on my dad's CDs and stuff like that. Um, so, like, the first time, like, like one of the first CDs I got was uh, was Jackie Chan's, like, Police Story series. Um, and, like, popping that in for the first time, it was like, wow. Like, I can actually see, like, you know, the individual pores on Jackie's face. I can see him do all these crazy stunts. Um, but but my collection's small. I think I have about, like, like five or so CDs or, like, five or so Blu-rays. Um, but they're expensive. Uh, but it's fun because uh, Barnes and Nobles is doing like a fifty percent off everything sale. So I've been trying to find a time to go and just you know blow my blow my bank account on on these on these Blu-rays. But that's what I like to collect. <laughs> kind of nerdy. Something we also share in common is that we watched a lot of pirated films. Like yep. I, I, I'm sure when you heard my episode with Corey, I talked about how I basically my entire childhood life when I was in Shanghai, I watched. All of my films were pirated. <laughs> All of my Wii discs were pirated. <laughs> so that was my movie experience. I wasn't the kind of kid who was like, when I was a kid, my father brought to the movies like every <laughs> week. I No, I just watched pirated films. <laughs> it's like that. It, it's totally like that meme. Like, oh, like, can we see The Conjuring in the theaters? And then it's like the mom being like, no, we have that at home. And then it's like Conjuring at home, colon. And it's like this like really like crappy setup. But is that like a cultural thing? I don't know. I guess so, because in China, it's like everyone used to buy pirated films, and now it's it's banned. Or oh. is it? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, they, they're super cheap discs, and so there were these trucks of pirated um, vendors all around, and that I guess that was part of the culture. Uh, wow. But the, there's been a crackdown of these pirated discs, but I'm sure they're they're still out there. They're still out there. <laughs> okay, yeah. Tune in next episode to see uh, <laughs> to see Melissa in jail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my podcast in jail. Oh no! Uh, number five, give me your best pun. Oh god! Uh, wow, this is tough. Um, or it could be like really bad too. I guess. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Really lenient. Hmm. Wait, I gotta think what? about this too. Okay. <laughs> It better not be like one of those pickup puns. <laughs> no, definitely not. Okay, here's here's an original one that I, that I just thought of. Uh, maybe uh, I did I did just think of it. But all right, what do you call a seat made out of fruit? Can you just tell us? Because <laughs> I'm gonna pause too. <laughs> okay, it's a cherry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was. Awfully good. <laughs> um. Oh wait, no, I have one. I have one. Okay, have one. I'm ready. It, it's kind of like a short story. Okay, so. Okay. If you heard this, then I'll be really sad. But just pretend you haven't heard it. For if sure. You have. Okay. There are two cells, and they're sisters. One day, one cell steps on her other sister cell's toe. The other sister cell says. Mitosis. <laughs> ah, wait. Okay, that's okay. I was like, I was confident that it was gonna go somewhere like in like AP Bio realm and like <laughs> osmosis or whatever. Like, you know, mitochondria. That's the only thing I remember. But okay, no, I like that one. I, I like that one a lot. T- took me a second to to get it. <laughs> okay, number six. If you could have, if you could only have one type of breakfast for the rest of your life, it would be blank. Fill in the blank. Oh, uh, Canadian bacon. 
Okay. <laughs> and and my reasoning behind that is because there was a point like last semester where I just like got super busy and just didn't have time to like cook breakfast or cook like a lot of meals. And so I bought Canadian bacon from like Trader Joe's. And and the, 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 like the nice thing about Canadian bacon, it's like it's, it's already like cooked and it's like cured like meat essentially. So you could just eat that straight from the fridge. Uh, you might have to throw it in the microwave if you know if, if you want it like a little warm. But the thing with like regular bacon is like like pork bacon is like you like you have to cook it and it's messy and it's super greasy. And so I, I don't know. I feel like breakfast foods, c- Canadian bacon has always been there for me. So okay, I will, I will continue to support it. <laughs> a little worried about your uh, diet, but <laughs> you know it's, that's a it's much enough. improved now. It's much improved. <laughs> <laughs> that is good to hear. I was gonna put oatmeal because. Like it's kind of a composite. Okay, everyone, this is when it gets on my nerves. Everyone when they when they say they don't like oatmeal, I'm just like, you don't know how to make you don't know how to make oatmeal. You know? And I, I talked about this with 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 Wenny too for her her for her episode. Yep. But I was watching this YouTuber one day, this uh fitness YouTuber, and then she says something so profound that I'm gonna quote right now. She says, Oatmeal is like a blank canvas. And I was like, it is! And so that's how people can make it interesting because usually people are just like it's just like water and milk and a pinch of salt. Like, no, 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 no. You can add like sesame powder, cashew butter, chunky granola. You could put like your little pepitas and you can put like Ooh. fruit and everything. Or even some frozen yogurt if you, not frozen yogurt, some yogurt. <laughs> but a frozen yogurt if you want to. Wait, so, so then what's your, what's your like favorite oatmeal to make? What should I make? Oh, right now I love um, sesame. I love putting sesame powder in oatmeal. Yeah, I used to add just like like cacao, but then yeah. sesame now. It's that's like, basic. Yeah, no, that's basic. So with sesame, I add that. And then I have like two large tubs. I have three actually, three large tubs of almond cashew and then another tub of almond butter. I love nut butter as well, more of like a crunch. I'm a very crunchy texture person. So I put like crunchy nut butter and like granola clusters. And then what else do I put? Oh, this is a, you're asking me, this is your podcast now. Um, I also put, if it's like fruit, I guess I would put like strawberries and blueberries. I don't want to really put bananas because like bananas are a bit too sweet for me, but if they're frozen, like maybe, but yeah, I think that would be maybe some like goji berries if I have them on hand, but I haven't had them in a while. So, but then you can also have savory oatmeal. You can also have blank canvas. So, I Canadian like bacon. You can do bacon too. So what I did one time is like I put. Well, I've done this multiple times. I, <laughs> I do uh, like regular, you know, just like your oatmeal with milk. Yeah. And then you can add turmeric powder. You can add turmeric oh. powder with like wow. some garlic powder, and I put kimchi on top for the savoriness. And I could put like vegetables, like bok choy, sesame seeds. You can put some like pork floss or fish floss, meat floss, okay. or any of that. And yeah. it's like a very hearty, delicious bowl that's savory. At that point, wouldn't you just like eat like porridge? Am I crazy? It's kind of like porridge, you know? It kind of gives the porridge vibe, but then it's just yeah. so easy to make. Oh, it's so okay. easy to make. You can literally just microwave it, but now it's like I try to do stovetop. Okay. And like what stovetop do you think like do you think that gets like a better end result? Yeah, do a better consistency. Like the oats just oh, cook better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's more soft, uh more like Absor- it absorbs the liquids more but the microwave is just like one minute the oats could turn out a little hard so okay. yeah I, yeah, well, yeah yeah I, if you're taking notes right now <laughs> i listen to this i mean we're recording so i'll catch in the podcast okay but gosh darn it i'm i'm convinced <laughs> okay um number <laughs> seven number seven number seven kind of got off track number seven if you could create a fun global holiday what would it be oh my goodness uh do do I have to pick out like a date as well? Nah. But if you mm, want to. Okay. Oh, man. Let me think. Uh, global holiday. I feel like there has to be like, like, like a global holiday, like recognizing the superiority of Canadian bacon over. <laughs> like, I feel like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too obsessed with this thing. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. It's, it's just a fun holiday, I guess. Number eight. Roast yourself. Roast myself? Dog. <laughs> That's not fair. Okay, let me think. Let me I'll think. roast myself um, too. I'll roast myself too. Oh, sweet. Okay, cool, cool. In it together. Um, um, 
I <laughs> I feel like sometimes I say like I like cooking because it makes me feel like really like independent and like an adult. But I actually like to eat out maybe a little more and I like to like try different foods that I like wouldn't be able to make at home. And I feel like maybe I'm like putting on a front sometimes, you know? Mm. That's yeah, that's a conspiracy theory and a half. <laughs> okay. Um Okay, I'm gonna roast myself. Uh yeah. I'm a creative who's moving to LA soon and has a podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, wait. <laughs> That, all right. That I feel like that's so much like more concisive roast than mine. Mine was like a mine. Mine was like a whole ass interview question, like answer. You, you put know? a lot of thought into it, though. <laughs> I appreciate. Well, it. hey, not not everyone has a podcast that's as good as yours. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Let the listeners know that Melissa's <laughs> blushing. Just kidding. Okay, number <laughs> number nine. Number nine. Bringing back to your, I guess your uh, high school days or. What's a rap music video you worked on that made you cringe? That I worked on? Oh yeah. my gosh. I think I think all all of them, to be honest. And I had fun doing it. I, I have no shame admitting that that they were cringy, super cringy. And I a couple of them can be found on, on, on my YouTube channel that's still like kind of it's it's I don't really use it that much, but it's they're there if you find it. But like, I think one of the the funniest ones was um this video that I did with um with one of my teachers. Well, his first name is Jason, but I like recruited him to be in this rap video with me because we had to do because I was also in in, in the broadcast journalism program at my school, and we had to do like a an informational rap video about uh, the new school policies or something like that, and so so we <laughs> took to the hallways in like the middle of the like the day. Um, and started like rapping in the hallways with like a nice little speaker that was blasting our like really bad demo track as we were like syncing over the music. I, well, I'm really sure that like a couple of my teachers saw me so that when I went to their classes later that day, they were like kind of giving me weird looks. Um, <laughs> but that was probably like one of the cringier experiences, although they've, they've all been pretty, uh, pretty embarrassing looking back at them. And the last one is one that oh, I yeah. always ask my guests. Describe your ideal happy hour drink. And I noticed that you were drinking something. I know, because I was, yeah. Uh, I ran out really quickly to buy a, um, a a nice bottle of Heineken, which is my favorite happy hour drink. I think I'm slowly getting into cocktails, but or maybe it's just like the Asian dad in me kind of vibe. But I feel like I, feel like I always gravitate towards Heineken. I have no idea why. I think I was, I was always kind of grossed out by beer when I was younger. But like now that I'm like older and an adult, I'll, I'll enjoy Heineken once in a while. I think that's my go-to. Perfect. Nice oh, and simple. <laughs> that's wonderful. And you passed the 10 questions. Yes. Yay. Well, Ethan, it's been so great speaking to you. And um, and I, I can't wait for your film to come out. It's called Swept Under. The film's fundraising campaign is going to be on our happy hour bio. And you said you're going to be shooting in late July. So I'm sure... There will be challenges along the way, but um, I really am positive that you and your crew, your team are going to overcome them. And I just really can't wait to see the, the finished product and the recognition that it deserves. So yeah, thank you for reaching out to me. Well, hey, I appreciate being on the show, talking to you. Uh, cue the outro music. Uh, but no, yeah, no, it's just been such a great time getting to share this story, getting to know you a little better. Because uh, we have never met before this, mm -hmm. which I was like a little nervous about. I'm like, oh my gosh, is he going to think like I'm a complete nerd? But it turns out we're both nerds. So yes. uh, I'm glad we got to, <laughs> yeah, anyways. But um, thank you for, for, for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Happy Hour. Don't forget to support Ethan's upcoming film, Swept Under, by sharing the project's fundraising link, which you can find in our Instagram bio. So far, Ethan and his crew have raised around $4,000, and their goal is to raise $6,000, so let's help make their film a reality. If you like this episode, be sure to share this podcast and give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your pods. And leave us a review, it only takes a minute. For more Happy Hour exclusive information, follow us on Instagram at Happy Hour Pod. That's H-A-A-P-I-H-O-U-R-P-O-D. If you have potential guests you want featured on the show, send us an email at happyhourpodcast at gmail.com. H-A-A-P-I-H-O-U-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. 
I'm Melissa Cho. Thank you for spending happy hour with me and my guests today. And I'll see you for another round very soon.